When you look at everything you can do from a marketing standpoint, like it's sky's the limit, but there are right ways to do it and there are wrong ways to do it. And so we're gonna dive into all things in between there with Jimmy Mackin today. What's going on marketing stream viewers? My name is Jason Pantana, your host, and today I am thrilled because I'm joined by none other than the CEO and co-founder of Curator Systems, a digital marketing powerhouse for real estate professionals, Mr. Jimmy Mackin. And we've kind of dubbed our conversation full stack marketer. And the reason for that is because as an agent running your business, as a team leader or a firm or whatever it is running your business, when you look at the opportunities in the landscape of all things digital, SEO, uh, paid advertising, uh, organic social media, when you look at everything you can do from a marketing standpoint, like it's sky's the limit, but there are right ways to do it and there are wrong ways to do it. And so we're gonna dive into all things in between there with Jimmy Mackin today. Now, the conversation is pretty logical. Part one, we're gonna talk about SEO and just kind of building your discoverability up online. What does that look like? Part two, we're gonna talk about email marketing, what to do, what not to do to be effective at email marketing. Uh, then we're gonna talk about social media, trends and changes and things to be on top of so your social media and your content is really a class. And then we're going to go from there and talk about video in particular. And then last, we'll finish up with the conversation around best practices for running ads, Facebook, Google, Instagram, beyond being a full stack marketer. This is a conversation that you really, really, really need to listen to from start to finish because we're going to give a lot of best practices, a lot of warnings of, hey, don't do this, but do this instead. So you can really leverage the landscape of digital marketing and you can generate more customers, i.e. buyers and sellers who say, you know what? I love that agent. I want to work with that team. I know them, like them, trust them. And that's the sweet spot in a relationship marketing-based business such as ours. This is a conversation you can't miss with Jimmy Mackin. Let's dive in. Jimmy Mackin, CEO of Curator Man. I am so pumped to have this conversation today. Just kind of of the theme of talking about the full stack marketer, because I know that you are just um, a prolific content creator, super knowledgeable about all things marketing, digital marketing especially. So I want to have that conversation with you today just at a high level. Uh, talk about mm -hmm. ads, email, video, social media, SEO, all of it. Um, but just first, before we dive in, thank you, man, for agreeing to do this. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Well, you know, I'm a fan, Jason, because you and I chat on Instagram. <laughs> so I'm excited about, excited about doing this. Hopefully, we're going to add some value for your audience today. Yeah, I, I, I'm sure that we will. I know, man, I love your content. You've been just crushing it lately. And if they're not following you, I know they're probably looking it up right now to make sure they do follow you. Um, just so we can get that out of the way, not out of the way, but just so we can say it now, what is your handle for them if they want to connect with you on social? Yeah, the, be the best place to stay connected to me is going to be on Instagram. It's just at Jimmy Mackin, M-A-C-K-I-N. Uh, and that's where I'm just updating content, whether it's scripts for sales or whether it's just stats that agents should know about marketing or whether it's just you know quick videos about maybe specific marketing trends that we should be paying attention to. It's really where I put out most of my sort of original and free content is, is through Instagram. Okay, I love it. And I know that that's going to be factoring into our conversation and then the work y'all are doing at Curator, which has been impressive and it's definitely on a, a really new trajectory. And I'm excited about that kind of infusing into our conversation. So first thing I want to talk about is kind of an SEO perspective and you can get mm -hmm. as technical or untechnical as you want. And I'm reading my notes. I wrote down what should agents set in place today to maximize their online discoverability? Just in thinking about this being kind of an age of attracting people to want to work with you. How do agents increase discoverability? 
Yeah. It, it, well, you've been putting out some amazing content around just your, your, your listings on Google and, and the importance of things even that are on the paid side, like local service ads. Uh, the thing that we have to remember, and this is maybe the, the thing that no one talks about as it relates to SEO, is how important your brand is. Airbnb, as an example, is an industry that is being decimated by Google. So if you think about the travel industry today, if you search for like, you know, best hotel in this area, like some of the results that you're going to see for hotels for maybe even travel sites are going to show up on either page two or at the very bottom of page one. And so that means they're really no longer getting any organic traffic from those particular searches. So what Airbnb has done so successfully and has built a moat around their business, Jason, that I think is relevant for SEO is that 90% of their traffic that goes to Airbnb every single day is either unpaid or direct, meaning people are searching for you know, best Airbnb in Boston, Massachusetts. So I think from an SEO perspective, the first thing we have to wrap our head around is the importance of, of your brand and understanding if your brand becomes synonymous with something that's adding value, something that is people seek as a destination, right. then if you want to begin to rank for specific keywords, not only can you improve your likelihood of showing up higher in the search results page, but you'll increase your click-through rate. And we did a, a, did a study on this recently. We put out some data on this, Jason. We talked about uh, email marketing. And the number one factor on whether someone actually opened your email was not the subject line. It was who the sender was. And I think right. the same thing holds true for SEO. Right. Well, so, and I think, I think that's a beautiful case study to make the parallel here. Just about SEO and your website, your blog, your Google My Business, your paid side with local services ads, whatever, all coming together to kind of just form this idea of, are you the agent of choice or not? Do people know you in your local? Do they mm -hmm. know you like you trust you? And it's going to be just like social, this ongoing thing of continually contributing and building it up. I love that. Um, yeah. All right. If I, could, if I could add one thing real quickly there in terms of brand, because I think people throw the word build a brand a lot. And, and I think a lot of people don't sort of follow up with what does that actually mean? Professor Scott Galloway, who is someone who I, who I yeah. respect and from a mentor from afar, he had, I took his brand course not too long ago. And he has this great uh, framework he uses. He calls it the three hurdles. And the three hurdles for a brand, and this is what you have to do to stand out in your marketplace. The first hurdle is differentiation. Are you different than the competition? And that can be done through the fact that you're producing better content that's more valuable, it's more yeah. useful. Uh, but are you different? Like fundamentally, if you're pitching the same thing, then there is no differentiation, you are a commodity. The second thing is, is it relevant? So are you different and is it relevant? And let me give you an example of that. If you're the number one agent on TikTok, like let's say God, Glenda Baker's example is doing some amazing work. Sure is. Well, that, 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 that is a differentiation. And yeah, it is relevant because she's able to build an audience that theoretically her sellers could benefit from if she's to promote one of her listings. So it is relevant. And the last piece of the hurdle is, is it sustainable? Is it something that you can hold that position over time? Are you different? Is it relevant to the consumer? And is it sustainable? So when I say build a brand, I'm not just saying go redesign your logo. I'm saying right. focus on a brand strategy that helps you stand out make sure it's relevant for the consumer. And that's something that can build over time, Jason. You know, I, I often say like your brand is your voice, your mind, your heart, your face. That's been sort of a mm -hmm. platitude that I've shared in the past. Just to kind of represent like, ask the question of yourself, what's the product here? Going back to uh, Professor Scott, I, what is his last name again? I follow yeah, him. Professor on Scott Gal Galloway. Galloway. I follow him on social. I just lost the last name. I love those three things. But the first thing I wrote down when you talked about differentiation is, well, what's the product and or the service? I mean, mm -hmm. 
I guess one way you can stand out is by, you know, you could discount your commission or whatever it is. That's one way to stand out. But is that the right way to stand out? What it really is, is you're the product. You are. And so the thing that Mm -hmm. makes you relevant and sustainable, meaning you can hold that market share and that attention is that there's nobody quite like you. And that's where I look at the opportunity that just the landscape of online to build that brand presence, like Glenda Baker, as an example, it's not that, I mean, she's a great agent. Uh, I have the privilege of working with her every single week. She's a phenomenal agent. Um, I would, it's, it's a traditional brokerage model. It's a traditional mm-hmm. model. There's the product's not really different. I'm not saying she's not amazing, yeah. but I'm saying what's amazing about her is her and yeah. how her brand just, she differentiates herself by being herself in the marketplace. Yeah. I don't know if that makes sense. Um, no, well, what you made me think of is, is in the absence of brand, a consumer will always go with the cheapest option. Totally. Or in the absence of brand, they will go with what's most familiar to them. So that's why we lose, like that's why good agents lose business every day to part-time uncles who sell two houses every single year. And they're like, why did my, why does this person hire this individual? Aren't don't they realize how important it is to have a professional who knows what they're doing, help them with the most important transaction. If they don't know who you are and there isn't that association built was a feeling like, oh, this person's special, then they're going to go with what's most familiar to them or with what's cheapest. Dude, I love that. And I'm sure we're going to circle back to that point because I think what you're saying is not only true of SEO, it's just true of online marketing as a whole. And I want to kind of swing through the whole array of some digital marketing channels here. Let's talk email for a second, email marketing. Sure. And I'm going to put you on the spot. What are you seeing as some of the top mistakes that agents are making concerning their email marketing. Either they're being short-sighted or it's just a downright mistake and they're causing themselves more harm than good. Because I think Mm -hmm. like email marketing is overlooked massively in terms of its potential by this industry. Uh, We know the ROI is 4,400% return on investment. Now that's Mm -hmm. not just real estate, but it's the opportunities there. What are the mistakes you're seeing? Well, automation is not marketing. And I think email, email, is something that has widely been automated by our industry because it can be. And no one should, no one asked the question, should it? And so when I think about email marketing, what I coach my clients on, and you know, we work with 500 of the top teams across the country, Jason, you know this, like yeah. I, I, the way I try to explain it is I say, you wanna have a conversation with your audience. You wanna, you wanna talk with them, not at them. You certainly don't wanna automate something that is you know, some, some person wrote three years ago that's part of some drip campaign. And totally. so one of the one of the one of the pro tips I would say, Jason, here, and this is goes back to like how I think about email marketing, is I love when agents are sharing, and you've got a lot of a lot of data around this and a lot of frameworks to use, but I love when agents are taking marketable moments that are happening within their business, sharing those stories, and then teaching their audience something interesting about it. So if you close on a house, maybe you helped a buyer win over someone who had a cash offer, that's something that you feel really good about that you're celebrating, but you're not talking about it to your database. And you're not emailing the story and talking about what strategy you use to win against a cash buyer. Cause that's something that I think your audience would appreciate. So these marketable moments, helping people buy a house, sell a house, putting a house under contract, taking on a new listing. You have all these everyday occurrences that can be turned into email marketing campaigns that can act as a story to demonstrate you're great at what you do, but as a vehicle to teach people something that helps them in their journey. So email marketing shouldn't be automated. It should be an extension of your brand and it should be your brand story. So I think the great agents understand that and they embrace that really well. I I think that's a great example of 
you know, you had this, like, let's say it was a multiple off situation. You beat it out when it was cash and you weren't. You talk about how, why, the story behind it. I, I love that. And, you know, like we talk about this with Tom Ferry all the time about being the knowledge broker, a Peter Drucker term, being mm-hmm. the knowledge broker. At the end of the day, like I just said a second ago, your brand is your voice, your mind, your heart, your face. It's you that's being sold. But really, it's like you're an, inf- you're an informational product as a broker. Mm-hmm. As a broker, they bring you in because of your expertise, your personality, and your ability to help them get from A to Z with whatever their objectives are. Yeah. Why not use email as a channel to help me recognize exactly the value you bring to the table, especially for a subject that maybe I don't know what I don't know, and I'm missing an opportunity? Yeah, and just let me give your audience a quick pro tip here, because I think when when it comes to content creation, and email marketing is content creation, I think one of the things I would encourage you to do is... Look at uh, look at things like Redfin Research or Zillow Research or KCM, uh, Keeping Current Matters, and what or even CNBC or Squawk Box, whatever you get your news from. But what I like to do is I look for stats and stories, and I try to make predictions on the back of it. So what I'll say is, what's an interesting stat? that uh, caught my attention and then maybe I can tell a story or ask a question or have a direct call to action on the back of it. Let me give you an example of this. I saw on CNBC, maybe it was maybe a month and a half ago, two months ago, two months ago now, that the average amount of equity a homeowner with a mortgage gained in Q1 of this past year was $33,000. And I said, that's a lot of equity, right? When the average home sale is what, Jason? Like 300,000, 280, 300,000? That's a lot of equity. It's a lot of equity. and that's in Q1. So I saw that stat and said, so, okay, let's go back. To, you know, uh, Tom likes to say run plays at work. Let's go back to, to a play that, you know, generally works, which is, you know, asking people if they want to know what the value of their home is. Well, if you can take those two concepts here for a second, home values have, or homeowners have gained $33,000 in equity in Q1. And you know, a play that works, which is, you know, would you like to know your home's value? Bring those two things together. Hey, Jason, I just want to check back in with you. I'm not sure if you saw this recently, but CNBC reported that the average homeowner with a mortgage gained $33,000 in Q1 in our local market. Here's some information that we're seeing. Uh, If you'd like me to put together a report for your home, just shoot me an email. Looking forward to connecting. Like, end of story. That's an email. And guess what, Jason? You can't automate that, right? No, no, because you've got to be the curator. Not to use your, you got to be the curator of it. I know I'm using your name of your company, but you have to be the curator of that information. Yeah, (laughs) I'm looking at a stat right now from Keeping Current Matters that's been blowing. I've been thinking about it for a couple of days. Um, David at Keeping Current Matters did the This Week in Housing with Tom Ferry. There's it's based on the I'm looking at my computer home price expectation survey, and it says that um, if you buy a home in January of 2021, that's worth Mm -hmm. 350, 350 thousand dollars. It is estimated to be worth about $443,000 by 2026. So in five years, you're seeing like equity gains of $93,000. That is okay. in and of itself freaking compelling to go buy a house. Yeah. yeah. So, so let, let's, do a, let's do a live brainstorming session here with your yeah. audience because this is the way that you and I think, okay? Yeah. So, so we know that if you own a $350,000 house, you're saying within six years or so, it's going to be, or five years, it's going to be five worth years. $443,000. Yeah, five years, $443,000. So where my mind goes is you have all these sellers who are sitting on the sidelines who are not listing their properties because they don't have a new home to move into, but also because the market's appreciating, they're saying to themselves, well, why shouldn't I just wait? So you should take that data point that Jason just gave you and say, okay, if home values are increasing, why should I list my home today? Or here are three reasons why 
You should like tur turn the corner. And this is getting in the mind of the consumer to see, okay, they see that data. It's super interesting. As a buyer, I'm thrilled. As a seller, I'm like, okay, what am I supposed to do? Like, should I just wait? And so you have to answer the questions. Like my, my buddy, Phil Jones, who we wrote the book, exactly what to say for a real estate agent says, yeah. show them that you know them. And having that empathy to kind of turn the corner, get in the mind of the consumer, you could take a data point like what Jason just gave you, which is fascinating. And you could turn that into a content strategy to connect with your uh, consumers in ways that other agents simply aren't doing. Absolutely. You could break it up. Like, well, it depends. Are you downsizing? Are you upsizing? Mm -hmm. Like what's your, yep. are you relocating? What's the why? What's the impetus behind why you would be moving and selling? Because you may stand and gain or lose based upon that stat. If you're downsizing, exactly. maybe you do keep it. If you're not, mm -hmm. get out of there and go buy the one that's going to appreciate bigger gains. Yeah. A great book that everyone should read. Uh, we had a guy, Marcus Sheridan on our podcast, uh, The Sales Lion. He wrote a book called They Ask You Answer. And I think a lot of what you talk about here and a lot of what you preach is right. along that same line, which is like just answering the questions your customers are asking in a way that's unbiased, objective, and helpful actually is the best sales strategy. And, and this a lot is of agents try to turn the corner. This is something we talked about on the pre-call too. We were talking about just feedback loops and the importance of being with mm -hmm. your customers and talking and knowing where they're, like to me, a value proposition is um, know what the problem is, have a proposition to solve or mitigate that problem, and then be able to talk about the payoff or the outcome of taking those steps. Yeah. I'm saying that really fast, but I'm like, man, if you are listening to your customers and having conversations and then writing down all those things that are happening, yeah. you're basically creating a content playbook of this email, this post, this video. I should be making things about those topics. And this goes mm -hmm. back to your point about automation. I, I am a believer in automating what can be automated, but not everything mm -hmm. can be automated. So there has mm -hmm. to be some kind of a process for, well, if I'm the knowledge broker and if I'm paying attention to what's happening in my local marketplace, there's going to be an element of me having systems and support around me that allow me to create the content on demand based upon the need to be able to get the word out. And I would look at email as being an absolutely powerhouse channel. Like when I look at my own marketing, and I know I'm kind of all over the place for listeners and viewers, but whatever. Um, when I look at my own marketing, if I really want to get something out and I don't want to wait to go make the video, send it to my editor or whatever, I'm going to either email you or go live. That's going to be what mm -hmm. happens. And so you're looking at okay. what are my channels that give me immediate access to my audience. Email is one of those channels. And I think that, I think your point is so true. If you are living under the impression that you can automate everything in your life, you're going to find out you're wrong. And I think yeah. you should be putting systems in place. Go ahead. What were you going to say? Yeah. Well, I think the the thing I tell all the clients we work with is that you're, you're a premium service and you need to act like it, which mm -hmm. is that it's this being in a position where you're charging 6% or 7% for commission, you need to act like it. And that starts with the marketing. It starts making sure that you, you have the right impression. But what, what you said there that was so important, the beauty of something like email marketing, I know we're talking sort of channel by channel here, but the beauty of email marketing is that certain marketing campaigns require a lot more effort, such as right. shooting a long form podcast like this. Jason's got to prepare for it. I got to prepare for it. We got to shoot it. And then afterwards, he's got to get it out to the entire world. It, it's maybe five, six, seven hours of work. The beauty of an email is that you can send an email out into the universe 
And if you get a great response based on the topic, you can use that as validation to invest in long form content. So what we do at Curator is if we send an email, we send 20 emails a month, right? Sometimes a little less, a little bit more, but we try to send like, you know, at least 10 to 12 emails every single month, which is probably far more than your audience is actively sending today. And if something does really well, if we send an email about some tactic or some idea, and I get a lot of replies, I get a great open rate, get a great click, click, uh, click through rate, then we'll do an entire webinar around that. We'll do a video series Absolutely. around that. We'll use that, right? As a signal to say, hey, we got some validation that this is worth investing in. So email is a lightweight way for you not only to connect with your audience, but also to get some validation on where you should invest your marketing resources for some of the longer form stuff that you and I do every day, Jason. Yeah, and it's implied in what you're saying. To do all that, obviously, you've got to commit to being the knowledge broker. You have to establish feedback loops with customers. You have to conduct research. You have to be hungry. And it's like, think about a college professor. The best college professors in their field are always the ones who hunger and thirst for their subject matter. They're doing their own independent research. They're testing and experimenting. And everybody wants to be in their class because they're in the top of their field. You got to be in the top of your field. Yeah. You got to be hungry about mm -hmm. your local marketplace and be the expert if you want to be able to talk about that from a content standpoint. Um, so I wrote down, uh, don't, don't give too much room for automation of email. I understand like listing alerts and things like that, but that's not really what we're talking about right now. Um, mm -hmm. I'm talking about your emails that go out. I wrote down canned to me as a no. Um, mm -hmm. Homemade always tastes better than canned emails. I know there's a lot of services out there that say we can just do your emails for you and people want to winterize their properties even though they live in 90 degree heat all year round and it doesn't mm -hmm. apply. Um, yeah. I just think you can't outsource that stuff. You've got to take mm -hmm. a vested interest in like, look, if I have people who are willing to listen to me and hear from me, like an email list, I got to treat that list with respect. I got to be a premium service, which is what you're saying. But you know, people ask me, how do you get more followers on Instagram and Facebook? And one of the attitudinal ways I would talk about that is look, rather than focusing on getting more followers, focus on the ones you've got. If you can make it an mm -hmm. awesome space for them, others will come. That the algorithm is predicated on that idea. Yeah. Why not do the same what with your- well, what you're saying, I'm sorry to cut you off there, but it just made me think of something. It's like you're talking about, and this is so spot on, Jason, the importance of the depth of the connection, not the amount of connections. And so when you when I hear you talk about like the the algorithms, they reward engaged users or engaged accounts, right? right. And they penalize the ones who have superficially have hundreds of thousands of followers. But no, I, I got 7,500 followers on Instagram. That's not breaking any records. But the level of engagement I have on every one of my posts is through the roof. And the reason that that we focus on that is because like, that's what I actually care about. Because engagement leads to some form of an interaction, which leads to some opportunity, which can lead to a sale. A superficial relationship is, gonna, is not going to lead to anything in, in social media, Dear email, content, you name it. To your point, like stop comparing how many followers you have on Instagram and start going into your Instagram insights and saying, how many accounts did you reach in the last 30 days? Let's compare that mm -hmm. number because accounts yeah. reached is going to be directly tied to Facebook or Instagram or LinkedIn's belief algorithmically that your content is what people want to see and engage with. Yeah, hundred percent. And one last pro tip for your audience as it relates yeah. to email that, that we, we like to do a curator is one of the things that you should always be doing is looking at new ways to repurpose your best performing content on social with your email list. So I see some people who are phenomenal creators of content on, on YouTube, on, on TikTok, on Instagram, maybe on Facebook, and they don't turn the corner. So if you have, if you like take Glenda Baker, we mentioned her earlier, 
Glenda Baker should be sending her TikToks out via email to her database. Totally. I'm sure she probably is doing some version of that because she's repurposing across different channels. But if you're doing something really well on social, you should repurpose that on, on, uh, on email. And what we do at Curator is we do an in case you missed it email yep. every month. We'll highlight our top 10 posts from social media and we'll share that with our email list. Two things happen. Number one, we engage our database, which creates more opportunities for sales. The number two, we cross promote these channels right. and then we grow a deeper connection on Instagram with our email list. So that totally. in case you missed it te technique is a really powerful, like, uh, you know, as Thomas say, plays at work, just run plays at work. We just do that every month and it just works. I do, uh, something, I do a weekly email digest to, so yeah. I, and it's based upon a problem. Uh, I hear a lot, mm -hmm. man, I see too much content. I can't keep up with all the content. You probably have this problem too. I can't keep up with all your content. Let me make it easy for you. Let me put it all in one place at the end of the week. Just so if you miss anything, you'll see it right there. And I get mm -hmm. great open rates in that email. I said, I've been doing it for like eight weeks now. It's not that old of an email, but it works great. And yeah. been yeah. talking about doing that with my clients for two years now, just weekly email digest of the content. Uh, let's, let's kind of, let's segue into just social. We're already talking about social media. Um, and again, my objective with you is kind of full stack marketer. I want to talk about email, sure. video, social, all of it. Um, what are some trends on social? And I'm not being, I'm being platform agnostic. You can just be on a specific platform or whatever you want. What are some trends you're seeing that we should be paying attention to uh, in terms of how it might shape the way we use those platforms? You know, a lot of people will cite that social media is still, still growing, right? I think there's 3.9 billion people on social media across all the platforms right now, yeah, which is like, totally. you know, 40% of the, 40% of the population. Um, what, what I think is the, the most important trend is matching the content to the medium. You know, I've been, I've been in this game for 10 years now and what used to be true that's no longer true is you used to be able to use social media, mostly Twitter and Facebook and maybe even Google Plus back in the day. Uh, you used to use those as sort of distribution channels. You would create something and you would distribute Put it everywhere. them through those channels. I've Put taught it, it for years, yeah, and it's changing. <laughs> it's changing because each platform now has specific features that are enabling a specific type of content creation. So that means that you can't take this 45 minute podcast and upload it in its current form on IGTV and expect anybody to actually watch it because and on IGTV, you might have, you know, three to five minutes max, right? Is what you want to maybe communicate, but also it's not appreciating the fact that, um, people's attention span will adjust to the task at hand. And so this is one of the biggest, biggest misconceptions. And I'm gonna come full circle here for you, Jason. One of the biggest misconceptions is that we have a short attention span. People say, oh, we have an attention span of a goldfish, right? And I've, and I've heard people say that. And, and what they may not understand is On that- Instagram. The, it, yeah, it's, if the task is you got your phone and you're scrolling through your newsfeed, then yeah, it's very short. But if you're watching a YouTube video, you get the popcorn out, you put on for 10, 12, 14 minutes, and you'll consume that content. If you're watching Netflix, you'll binge for hours. Your attention span adjusts to the task at hand. So, so basically it's, so it's scroll versus search. Like just for instance, my, my modality when I'm on Facebook or Instagram is I'm going to scroll and I'm flipping through channels versus search, right? And that's what you're, mm -hmm. I, I mean to cut you off, but that's what you're getting at. Well, yeah, it's, it's whether, whether it's search or whether it's consumption or whether it's just discovery, right? You can look right. at it from a couple of different angles. Your mindset is totally different. So therefore, when I said the medium has to match the message, what I'm saying is 
okay, if I'm gonna, if I'm on Instagram, I gotta punch him in the face with 30 seconds of something really interesting and valuable that says, oh, that was really useful, thank you, and leave a positive impression with that consumer. Now on YouTube, I've got more time. I, I can have the hook, I can get them excited, but I know they're gonna be around for that seven to 10 or 12 minutes. So I can go deeper on this. And obviously on email, I've got sort of their undivided attention, at least if I'm, if I'm good at what I do, for at least a few minutes. So um, for me, it's like understanding that every medium offers an opportunity for you to, to develop a message that is perfectly suited for that channel. And so if you think about your social media strategy, what we like to do is take our long form content and adapt it for each specific channel. So if you're just using it as a distribution channel, you're missing the mark. If you're right. adapting your content to match the medium, then you're putting yourself in a position where you will get the most out of that channel, whether it's Instagram, TikTok, YouTube shorts, just YouTube long form, you name it, you will get the most value if you take in consideration, Jason, people's mindset when they are on that platform. And not many people are doing this and doing it well. No, it's, it's funny, Brian. I've had several coaching calls today already, and that conversation's already come up several times because, you know, it used to be, I was, in fact, I've been thinking about it a lot. I was listening to a Jay Bear and Michael Stelzner podcast that I was really enjoying the other day. And, you know, Jay Bear, I remember listening to him 2014, something like that. And he talked about how like, hey, look, you got to spray your content everywhere. Create your content in a vacuum and put it everywhere because you don't know where mm -hmm. your people are. And that was that. Yeah. Now, before that, it had always been common, common practice to say like, hey, if you don't want to be on Google Plus, don't be on Google Plus. Um, if you can't be committed to a Facebook page, don't start one. It was already yeah. like only do the things that you were going to actually do at a high level. And then it changed. And now the yeah. pendulum swinging back the other way, just like you said, um, it's not to say your content can't go across all channels. It's to say that you have to optimize your content across all channels in a way that makes sense for what the average viewer and what the average user of those platforms are doing, whether it's scroll, search, discovery, whatever it is. Um, super yeah. smart. The well, other thing I would say, oh, go ahead. You first. Well, one thing to add there, um, Netflix is a company that I think all of us look at and admire because yeah. they, they have sort of defined a category. And even though there's a lot of fast followers who are catching up, they were they were a uh, a leader, and in particular, their investment in original content is something that they did. So, original content that you would stream was was such a bold decision that put them in a position where they had sort of a four to five year head start. What people don't remember about Netflix is they don't remember their failures. I believe it was in probably in like mid two thousands, two thousand ten, maybe they released uh, Quickster which is they separated the Netflix brand. I'm not sure people remember this. They separated the brand. They had this big video. It's a great video. You should look it up. Quickster on YouTube. They announced, hey, our direct mail uh, service or DVD by mail <laughs> service is now Quickster. And then we're going to keep Netflix uh, down this path. And what was what's crazy about this is Netflix generates, even today, they generate $300 million a year from their DVD service. Now, they made this decision, and then within like two weeks, they reversed course because people were like, this is just a terrible idea. And why this is so important is people look at this and say, oh, these guys are idiots. How could they basically spin off a brand? Like, don't they realize what they have? And what they did is they were willing to experiment and try things and they had a high tolerance for failure. And then when it didn't work out, they course corrected. Great brands and, and just legendary agents are like willing to experiment and try different things. They don't wait for the case study. They are the case study. So right. what I would say in regards to social media is like, 
You have to be, don't be out there like use Glenda Baker, Brad McCollum, who's amazing on YouTube. Totally. Use these people as inspiration, but go out there and try something. Be Do something different and just be willing to sort of take a risk. And then that tolerance, Jason, I think it's just got to be there if you want to be successful on social. I, well, and I think you have to kind of ask yourself, like, why am I doing any of this in the first place? And the answer is, yeah. I kind of go back to the thing I was saying earlier, like the best way to get more followers is to focus on the ones you've got. And so mm-hmm. my thought would be, just like with emails, like we are literally legitimately trying to communicate value to these folks. You got to look at these channels and say, you know what? I'm going to figure out through a process of trial and error and testing what works, what doesn't work. Things are going to change. I'm going to mess up. That's okay. But the thing I'm committed to doing is reaching my audience and helping my audience discover me. And I'm going to do that through a combination of wins and losses and hopefully more wins than than losses. Um, Yeah. The other thing I would say, like, I want to just kind of double down on the creating content optimized for each channel. I think you also have to recognize, like, how do the algorithms actually, how are they fueled? We know YouTube's mm-hmm. different from Facebook. Facebook's a little bit different from Instagram. They're all a little bit different. But the one thing they all seem to reward, well, there's two things they all reward. One, can you hold somebody's attention? And for how long? Yep. Now, attention yep. held on Instagram is a micro, it's just so much smaller than attention held on YouTube. Yeah because it's a different animal, but that's all baked in relative to the platforms. But the other issue is, is like historical relationship on these social platforms is increasingly a major component of when your content does or doesn't show. So like I tell my clients a lot, if you want people to see your content on Instagram, just for instance, start DMing them, start looking at their stories, start commenting on their stuff, start being proactive. I've been shaming myself because I don't do very well on LinkedIn. And I'm like, I know what I have to do. If I want to do better on yeah. LinkedIn, I've got to work LinkedIn harder than I'm working. Period. Yeah. Well, <laughs> let, let me uh, let me give your audience permission to do less here because I think I think the the guilt that you feel about not being active on LinkedIn is is guilt that all of us feel. And it, but it's okay. It's okay to be a single channel agent. If well, I think that's the point. Out. I think it's okay to yeah. recognize like if I'm not willing to put in what it's going to take, that's okay. Let me save that and put it into where I'm already at. Yeah, yeah, and, and and I think here's 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 how I would summarize what you just said because I think it's brilliant. Quality is the strategy, and so when I think about what I've done on social, I had no followers in January of this year. I had like two thousand people follow me who were just close connections, and I've obviously grown to seventy five hundred, which is not a earth shattering number, but no, it's but been it's a major, major growth. It, it really is major growth, and for the fact that you know I'm not producing ten stories a day, and I'm not posting five times a week, you know we're we're much more deliberate about this. And the the decision I made, and this is something your audience can take to heart here, and I think it really reinforces what you're saying here, Jason, is having clarity on what your north star is from your digital marketing strategy allows you to freely operate within those constraints. So for me, I didn't want to become the most popular. I didn't want to become the most liked. I'm certainly not the most charismatic. I said, my goal, if I'm going to do this, because Annette, who's our creative brand manager, kind of kicked me in the ass and said, you got to do this. uh, I said, my goal is I want to become the most useful person to follow in real estate. Now, I didn't know you existed at the time, so I realized I'm now in second place. (laughs) But like, You're pretty useful, man. I said, I said that. So, I, so what you'll notice is, is on Instagram, I don't put out stories about my kid. I don't talk about where I'm going, my wife, what I'm meeting, where I'm traveling to. And it's not because I'm against that. It's because it doesn't fit within my North Star. I have a similar. I put, yeah, I'm similar. Yeah, you know I'm saying so. Like for me, it's like I, it's I'm. I want to become the most useful person to follow in real estate besides Jason. <laughs> and so for me to do that, I've got to be producing great content, and I cannot waste people's time. So I, my advice would be. 
if you want to build a brand online and you want to leverage these amazing channels that now can help you scale your business to new heights, you have to establish a North Star early and you have to use that to guide your strategy. And I've done it successfully and something we coach our clients on. And I'm just a big believer in starting there before you just jump and start creating a bunch of content. I also think what was interesting about the thing you chose, your North Star was, I want to be the most useful to agents. It wasn't, mm -hmm. I want to get 100,000 followers. It wasn't, I want to get a certain number of leads or something like that. It wasn't your typical outcome-based objective. It was more of a qualitative aspirational, um, sort of like passion based goal. And I think that yeah. right there is, I don't, I mean, I think it's worthy of note. I'm not saying you shouldn't have like more tangible objectives, but it's worthy of mentioning that. All right. I got you for like three yeah. more minutes. I want to go ahead. All right. Fire one. I got well, two no, but I was, rapid I was, fires, but I, make your real. Yeah. Sorry. I keep talking over you. Okay. Go ahead. Man. I want to hear your thought. It's okay. J Jason and I can do this for hours guys. I know. Uh, so, so you guys should have been a part of our call before this call. Cause we were just jamming out <laughs> about some of this stuff. Um, what I would say is the, the the thing for me that I think is important when it relates to social media is to understand what marketing can actually do for your business. Because ultimately, I'm CEO of a business. My job is to position us in a way to help grow the organization. That's my my duty as CEO. And the the benefit of social media and the benefit of marketing is that it actually can scale. And what I mean by that, and Rand Fishkin from Moz, now he's with Spark Turo, put out a wonderful video everyone should look at, look at. It's called the Marketing Flywheel. And the basic premise is, let's say on average, you spend 10 hours per week doing marketing. And let's say as a result of that 10 hours, you reach a thousand people through your email list, through your Instagram, through your Facebook, maybe through some advertising. Well, if you continue to focus on quality as a strategy, if you continue to be really focused on reaching a specific audience and solving specific problems, that audience can go from 1,000 to 5,000, 5,000 to 50,000, 50,000 to half a million. But the input, the 10 hours you put in stays exactly the same. And that is what marketing can do for a brand that's looking to scale. Certain sales strategies are really effective. They just don't scale. So you have to choose if you want to build a business that's bigger than yourself, an organization that's going to go beyond just your own individual production, you have to focus on leverage and marketing provides that unlike any other uh, tool out there in the toolbox, Jason. Dude, I, I, so one, I love that picture. It's the snowball effect that occurs with marketing. I love that picture. Mm -hmm. I also think it really parlays nicely with this idea of having a passion-based objective of why you're doing content creation. Because I come across a lot of agents who are already, you know, it's, oh my gosh, I got to do more of this. It's another platform. Mm -hmm. I have to customize yeah. for every platform. Now I got to do more video and they want reels. So now I've got short form vertical videos and long form videos. And I got all these yeah. things going on and it's just a lot, a lot, a lot to do. And I think you can look at that and get overwhelmed pretty easily unless you have a clear goal as to why am I trying to do this? Well, I'm trying to do this because I want to be useful. Like maybe your goal could be, I want to be the most known and useful agent in Phoenix, Arizona or wherever you do business. Yeah. And I am recognizing that whether it's email, video, social, SEO, whatever channels I, I choose to utilize, I'm going to put at the center of all of them. The only thing that matters, the only litmus test is really, is this going to help me be the most useful agent in Phoenix, Arizona? And then everything yeah. else, like the trials and errors, the failures and whatever, the algorithmic adjustments, the one zeros and all the stuff that goes with it, it just fits inside that bigger goal. Um, yeah. I love yeah. that. I, I want to show a little empathy for your audience because I get the feeling of like having to I do, do everything, and have, 
having to be everywhere. Like you have, you have a full-time job that you're, you have a very difficult day of dealing with clients and dealing with emotions. And I've said this for a long time, the longer I've been in this industry, the more respect that I have for agents who are doing it the right way. Because in my world, um, the highs and lows are not the same highs and lows you have. You're dealing right. with people's lives and, and, and the, it, that can be emotionally exhausting. And I think people like me can sometimes be a little bit flippant as it relates to, well, go out there and do it. But what I will say is this, my sister called me up not too long ago. She's a lawyer and uh, she was complaining about her job and she's saying how hard her job is and how difficult it is and, and all these things. And I said, uh, I said, how much money do you make per year? And she told me the number. It's a big number. And I said, okay, so you make this, right? I said, and your expectations are what? That it's supposed to be easy, right? I'm like, you're making four five, six X the average person. I'm like, if you want to build something, it's supposed to be hard. And so for me, like we built Curator B uh, over $10 million a year in revenue. It's hard. <laughs> like there is nothing easy about like Absolutely. having to attract employees, keep employees, keep customers, attract customers. You got competitors. Like there's nothing easy about this job. And so you have to have a passion and love for what you do to deal with all the bullshit, all the struggles, all the heartache that goes along with it. And you have to do it for the right reasons. And it can't be for someone else's goals. And so for me, I think it's for your audiences to recognize that mm -hmm. if anyone is saying this stuff is easy, they're doing you a disservice. It's hard. But you know what? It works and it's worth it because over time you can build something that's bigger than yourself and something you can be proud of. And that's what I think your audience is certainly dialed in on and certainly wants to hear from people like us, Jason. I, I totally agree. And I think in terms of all their own reasons, I should do this because I have to or I'm going to be irrelevant. All bad reasons. I think the only thing that matters is to realize like, hey, I'm doing this because I have a reason that actually matters to me to the core of who I am. Yeah. Maybe it's not money motivated. Maybe it is. Whatever works for you. I'm not going to sit here and judge that. Um, I just think that a dose of realism in terms of Look, I see the opportunities to scale my business and grow a brand, a footprint in my marketplace through marketing channels like email and social and beyond. Um, how am I, how am I going to commit to working those opportunities to scale them up? And what am I expecting out of that? Dude, this has been great talking to you. Um, I think you've added tremendous value to everybody watching or listening. Um, they should definitely connect with you. Let's see if we can't get your number up higher on Instagram because you really do post some amazing content. Like there's some... I especially like the one where you figured out how to boost the one post on Instagram to grow the following. It's, it's pretty good stuff, man. It's good stuff. Yeah, I, I, pre I appreciate that. Let me give you, and we, we didn't have a chance to talk about ads, but I'll just say one quick little yeah, snippet you, on yeah, ads. Yeah, please. Um, because you know, where you know the future of advertising is is sort of in flux right now, right, Jason? Like you've been, you've been talking about this for a long time. The changes to Google, the changes to Facebook, the iOS fourteen update, and so a lot of people are saying. I, I want to take my money. I've got 10% of my GCI year. I'm going to invest in advertising. Where should I allocate that cash? Yep. And I think the fundamental change that is happening right now is advertising is moving away from, it's all about targeting and it's all about the demographics. It's all about the bid strategy to, can you amplify content that people already when love? So the simplest thing you can do to effectively spend your ad budget is to amplify the organic content your customers already love. And I think if you try to just, if you get into the algorithm, you go into Facebook ads manager, you try to figure out how the hell to use that stuff, like you are going to want to quit your job. It is that difficult. It's pros only. But from a strategy perspective, just take the content people already love and put a budget behind it. I mean, that yeah. Helps you 
reach a new audience. It helps you grow your following, helps you build an engagement. It does all the things you want to do. So my advice around advertising, because I know there's a lot of questions around this, and maybe we'll have a chance to answer some of the questions in the and the uh, and the YouTube uh, comments later on. But it's like totally. just amplify the content that already does well. That is the simplest and easiest way to get you 85% of the way there and actually spend the money that you're earning in a smart, strategic way. And I think amplifying can be as simple as hit the freaking boost button and let it rip. Yes. Um, yes. It's, it's Dennis used dollar a day method that's been around for several years. That's the minimum viable. Um, see what works and what doesn't work. And if one does work, put a longer spin with more money behind it. But here's, mm -hmm. the, here's the big critical difference. And I know you got to go, but I sh I'll put this out there. I think in real estate, we have long looked at advertising through lead gen as put a, put a real estate offer out, just listed, search for homes, get a home valuation. And those offers are great. I'm not dogging them. But what they get you is a lead that's interested in real estate, not you. You look at like a Google local services ad where they search for best agents in Phoenix, Arizona or whatever. That's a different, that's a different type of lead. So people talk a lot about like Facebook leads. Facebook leads are so lousy. They're so top of funnel. They're they don't really want to work with you. I can run the same campaign and get the same leads six months removed and there's no change. I can keep getting the same leads, but I can't get them to go any further. But then I look mm -hmm. at this idea of amplifying your content through paid advertising yeah. on Facebook and Instagram and other platforms. And I'm like, the best social media leads are the inbound organic DMs that you're generating. They mm -hmm. could be from other agents making referrals. They could be from somebody who's like, hey, I love your content. We're moving to the area, blah, blah, blah. And they reach out. Yeah. So why not take your content, promote it to a bigger audience, that then chooses to follow you, subscribe to your thinking and methodology. And then eventually when the time is right, they're the ones who DM you. So it's like amplification yeah. is a paid process to get organic returns, if that makes any sense. Yeah, and there's only one thing I would add to that is, because what you were saying earlier is so true, Jason, is like lead gen, traditional lead gen, is the beginning of the marketing process, not the end. So you can capture their information through some form of an IDX ad or, yeah. or check out these homes here or, or register to view. That That is the beginning of the journey. So if you start selling to those people, you're going to run into a brick wall pretty quickly. So you have to think about it as, okay, that's a great way for me to grow my audience. Yeah. But now I've got to get them into this funnel. I got to start sending them some emails. I got to make sure they're following me on Instagram. I got to make sure they're watching my videos on YouTube because then that's where that association, Nurturing. that trust, that connection is built. Exactly. I call so it the dash. The cross on the end. It's kind of like the what dash. Like I call it the dash. Like you're born, you live, you die, the dash. It's like yep. you get a lead. The dash is the nurturing. It's what you do from the time you get the lead until maybe two years later, they decide to buy or sell a house. What's the in-between? And that's yeah. your nurturing. That's your marketing. It's your emails. It's your videos. It's your social media. It's all that stuff. And it's the value you add because you want to be the most useful agent in your local marketplace. All right, man. Love it. I'm already four minutes over your time here today. I appreciate you very much. Uh, dude, great conversation. Um, by all means, guys, put a comment ask a question, tag us. Let's get this conversation going bigger and further. Um, and hey man, I'd love to get you back on. Let's see what the comments produce as far as questions, get our own little feedback loop and we'll do a round two of this down the road. Love it. Appreciate you, Jason.